What's up? Welcome to Afterthoughts. This is our Recommend to Refute episode where we each discuss a movie or TV show that we watched separately this past week and pitch the rest of us on whether or not we, we like it and encourage other people to watch it. So uh, with me, as, as always, John Garcia, Ryan King, and our special guest Parker is back. How's it going, Parker? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me back. Thanks. Thanks for joining. Happy to have you. Uh, John, do you want to kick us off and tell us what you watched this week? Sure. So I know in our past episode, we talked about D&D and fantasy, and we talked about Marvel movies. Um, I have a superhero movie that's fucking God damn wild. it. <laughs> it is uh, a pre-contemporary Marvel, I should say. So that tells you it's probably a lot better than, you know, the fucking schlock you're used to. It's a different kind of action. It's uh, a 1993 film called The Heroic Trio. Oh, I thought you were going to say Howard the Duck. It is. Uh, it's <laughs> oh very, uh, yeah. No. <laughs> it's just a little George Lucas indie film. Uh, <laughs> An evil emperor of the underworld is using his power. It's unnatural. To create an army of darkness. The world will belong to me. He can be beaten. Let's get serious. Now, three extraordinary superheroes must unite in the most fantastic triple threat of all time. You want it? Come and get it. Yeah, the Heroic Trio is a movie that stars Anita Mui, who is apparently the Madonna of Hong Kong cinema. I don't know what that Ooh. means, but it sounds, you know, it's provocative. Mm-hmm. It's people going. <laughs> Uh, it's got Michelle Yeoh and it's got Maggie Chung. And that's really all you need to know is that this is going to be about three women who kick ass and they nice. do it in a way that mixes superheroes and kind of the Wuja films. If you're not familiar with Wuja as a genre, as I understand it, and I have not looked it up yet, but from all the movies I've seen that are qualified as it, it's that kind of floaty crouching tiger, hidden dragon fantasy style fighting where everybody's on like wire rigs and they're flying around doing this and that with swords. You cross that with a bunch of superhero stuff and you get the heroic trio. Um, it has the sets of a Tim Burton Gothic Batman movie. Uh, so like these big Gross. scaled kind of like, <laughs> laid out sets and wide shots and every frame is kind of a painting in this movie. Um, it's really beautiful. The, the use of empty space with, uh, different props and characters placed in it. Uh, I remember very visually and viscerally a lot of sequences from it, um, because of that framing. So the cinematography already right off the bat. Great. What is it about John? I hear you ask. Well, it's about all right, this is going to get fucking weird immediately. So <laughs> just bear with me on this. Strap in, folks. Uh, yeah, so uh, Anita Moy's character is called Wonder Woman in it. Um, shout out to DC out No there. copyright issues yeah, there. Not at all. <laughs> uh, she's been raised to deliver justice to the town that she is in um, by some master in the mountains. And at the same time, there is a villain that Michelle Yeoh plays called the Invisible Woman who has a cloak that uh, makes her invisible. Go figure. Uh, Invisible woman is trying to steal babies from any and all maternity wards to deliver them to uh, a sewer king who apparently is going to name the next emperor of China. What the Uh, fuck? 
Yeah, exactly. Um, Maggie- is the Seward King played by Danny DeVito? <laughs> it is not. It is not played. <laughs> Sorry, we didn't get that Sorry. far in the Tim Burton timeline <laughs> <Damn>. here. <laughs> um, yeah, so the Seward King has a lot of like demon powers apparently too. And Maggie Chung's character is the third in this trio that will eventually become heroic, hence the name. Uh, Maggie Chung wears a bunch of skin-tight leather, rides around on a motorcycle, whistling London bridges falling down, <laughs> and yeah. has a fucking double-barrel shotgun that she uses <laughs> for anything. The first scene we're introduced to her with is there's a bank heist. And they're like, we don't know how to get the hostages out. And she shows up and she's like, I fucking know how to do it for a price. And then she sticks a piece of dynamite in a barrel and rides the barrel into the bank on top of the fucking criminals, shooting them with a goddamn shotgun whistling London Bridges. It's fucking glorious. And the dynamite does not hurt her. Not at all. It propels the barrel forward, much like a SpaceX rocket, but it doesn't explode like a SpaceX rocket does. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> Um, (laughs) so this movie, uh, I saw it at a weird Wednesday at the Alamo draft house as part of, uh, the nonprofit I'm part of hyper real film club. They, they were like, Hey, can you come take some photos and watch this movie with us? And it was, it's an hour and a half. That's all you need. 90 minutes folks for whatever this balls to the wall, insane action piece is. Um, it does have some pacing issues, but it has so much surprise and delight in how much it just fucking throw shit at the wall and sees what sticks. Like there's a lot of uh, great Kung Fu fighting in it. There's a lot of great prosthetic and kind of uh, uh, practical effects as well. There's even sort of like a Terminator esque character that becomes just bones and is walking around <laughs> doing some wild shit. Okay. Um, and it ends in like a mental mind fight that is just communicated through the craziest kind of editing that I can. It's just like really hard flashes. It reminded me of, like if Terrence Malick took cocaine. Uh, <laughs> Interesting. So, um, yeah, the Heroic Trio is on Criterion Channel. I believe it just had a 4K restoration recently done as part of Janus Films. And it is fantastic usage of 90 minutes. I would highly recommend this movie to anybody out there. It's just a good time. It's, it's not going to make you think deep. It's just going to be fun. Uh, and it's going to have a lot of really fun wire work with it and a lot of characters that are just like, yeah, sure. I want to see these people kill each other. Also, one of the only movies I've watched that has a baby death in it. It's just like straight up a baby dies and it's pretty fucking traumatic in the middle of the superhero Whoa. movie. John you loves just, that wow. kind of shit. Watch that shit go down <laughs> and you're like, fuck, they really did that. Uh, it took my brain like five minutes to catch up with that. Oh my God. <laughs> Until the doctor pronounced the time of death, I was like, oh, fuck, I oh, thought wow. this would they make really, it. Oh, wow. Yeah, they Carry really that hammer the that shit down that the, the character is really evil. So I was like, fuck. Um, yeah, anyways, the Heroic Trio, 1993. Just Does it try to be comedy at all? Beyond yes, just like, there's a lot of okay. comedy. There's also like a love story. Other than story. the baby death. Yeah, the, the baby death, of course, hilarious as we all it's know. Played for laughs. Comedy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dead baby jokes are back, everybody. Classic, <laughs> classic. Making it. Um, yeah, it has comedy bits in it. It has this kind of goofy 1960s Batman vibe to certain parts of it. Mm, okay. It also has a love story that's woven into it, and these dramatic pieces that they don't really hit, but they serve as like justification for certain character actions. And I was like, it's fine. I can let that go. Um, really a lot of it comes down to the visual aesthetic, super stylistic, just visually drinkable as a movie. You're like, hell yeah. I remember these particular sequences because they're so striking and the lighting was this way and the sets were just massive. 
in the scale that that kind of gothic Tim Burton thing that I mentioned. So yeah, I had a great time with it. It's good. It's called the heroic trio. You said Michelle Yeoh starts out as a villain. Mm-hmm. I assume they like recruit her to the good side and then they fight the sewer king or something. Is yes, there a, is yeah. an eventual thing where they fight the sewer king, but it doesn't happen in the way that you would think it would. Also, there's a character who is, I think, either blind or deaf and carries the thing from, um, oh, fuck, there's another kung fu film where they have this floating basket that latches onto people and cuts their heads off he has that oh my weapon. god that thing yeah he just pulls that out in a bank uh, like in whatever <laughs> wow. he like holds up a hospital holds up a bank does all this other he holds up shit. a hospital sure why not <laughs> do they have like a cash yeah, register a at the hospital or like a, where do they keep <laughs> well, the money they're robbing babies not money oh, that's our most right, precious right, right, natural yeah. resource aside from oil and gas <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> is our youth <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it has a lot of weird shit where you're like, that doesn't make sense, but I will allow it because of the way it's done. <laughs> <laughs> Gun to your head. You have to choose heroic trio, John Wick four, who you got. Oh, fuck, man. Why are you going to do this to me? <laughs> uh, hold on. I really need to think about this. Oh, God. Is it, is it the, is it the Wuju or is it the gun kata? I got to do heroic trio oh, as, wow. as gun kata oh, and wow. over the top as John Wick was it's three hours almost of, of mm-hmm. gun kata and whatever in John Wick four. And but this was 90 minutes it. of the condensed version of those kinds of things <laughs> with wire work. Like, okay. If John Wick had Wuja elements where John Wick <laughs> floated through certain scenes and did shit, that would be even Keanu harder. Keanu can't say, do that yeah. anymore. It'll just be too derivative. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He really can't. He really can't. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's. I would say, yeah, heroic trio this time around. Uh, as much as I loved John Wick Four, fuck, <laughs> I didn't. And and I did see John Wick Four recently. Dixon took me to it. Mm-hmm. I should say honorable mention. Dixon, thank you for for taking me to the movies uh, and and going to see that one in particular. It had some fucking wild sequences in it that I really appreciated. It's the only way John goes to the movies is if I ask him several times to go to see him. <laughs> he movie. has to text me several times, you're a dick. And <laughs> when I tell him, no, I can't go before I'm like, ah, the Catholic guilt really catches up. And I just got to <laughs> <Yep>. at this point. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, Ryan, honorable mention too. I watched uh, the first season of Reservation Dogs. I did it, everybody, within the first right. week of my promise that I would watch to half of season two by my birthday. <laughs> I think we might get there, folks. We might there, even yeah. go a little farther. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't overcommit yourself here John. exactly you want to set the bar low just like marvel does and then mm-hmm. you can always just <laughs> occasionally breach <laughs> um but yeah so would recommend the heroic trio and john wick four why not and the reservation dogs why not there we go i piled on hey, those calm, down, calm down calm down <laughs> <Yeah. Rick. Triple laughs> i'm getting greedy here folks i'm getting greedy <laughs> cool uh ryan what did you watch this week yeah i i mentioned that i went to the movie theater three times mm-hmm. um D&D, super mario brothers yeah obligated and... to watch super mario brothers wanted to watch dungeons and dragons and i told my family a long time ago that they were obligated to watch suzume hey got a sec i'm looking for ruins Specifically, a door. A door? Just like he said. Impossible! There's no way! 
Gates open in lonely places where no human hearts remain. And from those gates, Isn't it? <gasps> disaster comes. Hi there. You're in the way. Goodbye. Uh, which is the latest movie from Makoto Shinkai, who is trying his best to be the new, uh, the new Miyazaki, since Miyazaki's son is not, <laughs> yes, is not pulling it off. Burn, sick burn. Womp womp here. I don't think I've seen any uh, Miyazaki Junior movies. You haven't seen Tales and from Earthsea? Yeah, that's good. No. Yeah. Um, I'll lend oh you my god. Copy. Don't. No. Yeah, don't. And that's can... fine. That's fine. You don't have to do that. Yeah, he can follow it up with Earth. What is it? Earwig and be half interested half horrified and then the movie just ends and you're fucking confused yeah. um, the so makoto shinkai if you know if, if the audience doesn't know he he has a few movies to his name but your name was the first really big hit for him mm. and then he followed it up with weathering with you and then suzume has been making the worldwide tour uh, and didn't come to the states until it had its dub because it's the way we roll uh, I did watch the dub version. I do want to go back and watch the subtitle version, but my 10-year-old d- doesn't always want to put up with subtitles. Mm-hmm. And in a movie True theater, American. it's even a little more difficult. <laughs> yeah, she's. She, we're, I'm getting her there. I'm getting her there. Um, the dub is is fine. Like I actually didn't really have any problems with the dub, so I'm actually like, it's okay to go watch that. I, I give it a general approval. I still want to watch the subtitle original. Um, just because I always feel like it's better. I have a suspicion that the uh, cat character probably sounds different. Um, oh. Slightly less annoying, um, <laughs> just in the way that these things tend to go uh, as dubs. Overall, I give it a, a recommend totally, just off the top. Um, I didn't care too much for weathering with you. I thought it was all right, and the visuals were really good, but I was kind of just okay on that one. I really liked your name. Like, I really kind of blew me away at the time. I'd like to go back and watch it again. Suzume falls kind of in that your name spot. I think it really was really, really good. I enjoyed it. I think the main character of Suzume is really good. She's really strong and comes through. Um, I think the visuals were really good again. Um, All three of those movies have great visuals. This in a theater was awesome. Like, I really did appreciate the, the, the scale of it, there's a lot of these scenes with this amorphous blob threatening the city, and then times where we kind of go through the city and see it. So these like wide spaces with so much going on. I really appreciated being able to see that. And just the beauty, kind of similar to a Ghibli movie, of the country, the city. There's a lot here of like abandoned locations mm-hmm. is kind of a key part of this movie, and it's a good mix of where you can feel how it was used and how it's kind of been overrun by nature now. Um, that was good to see visually as well. I kind of always appreciate that look. The I had no idea what the plot was other than something in a door because I really was not trying to pay attention. I already <laughs> wanted to go watch it. Um, basically, the plot is that Susume is headed to school one day. A weird dude comes walking the other way and asks if there's nearby ruins, specifically a door. And she sends him off to the ruins, but then for whatever reason, her mind just kind of is dragged back. She ends up going back to the ruins instead of going to school. Or she, I think she ditches school and uh, finds him at this door. Or first she finds the door and she accidentally, she opens it. It's sitting, this is again where this movie is really pretty. The layout of things is really interesting. So this door is like in the middle of 
I, I don't know how to describe it. Almost, you know, kind of like a coliseum, a greenhouse or something. Yeah. It's all yeah. completely gone. And there's just a pool of water in this door just in the middle of it. And she opens the door and kind of gets a glimpse into another world, tries to step through it. Nothing seems to happen. She picks up a rock that turns into an animal and runs away. And she's kind of confused. Oh. She comes back later because she sees this horrible worm thing coming out into the sky that nobody else can see. And at the same time, they have an earthquake warning. She somehow thinks it's all connected because she can see it's coming from the ruins, goes to find the mysterious guy trying to close the door, and that thing is coming out of it. And then he kind of explains, and this is, again, not really ruining anything because it's pretty quick through the beginning of it. He explains that uh, he has to go around and close these doors or otherwise horrible shit happens to Japan. like, Like earthquakes and tsunamis and things like that. And she apparently fucked it up by picking up the keystone that was protecting this particular door uh and so she ends up following him through it through an adventure through the different locations to close doors there is some sort of funny hijinks to it uh as well as getting serious and it introduces like different characters as we go and i really kind of appreciated each of the locations she visits she kind of makes a new connection with the people and the location and we learn about the locations that have been abandoned that have these doors and the connections to those people. And so the theme all kind of stays, I feel like really strong throughout it. It, at the end of the day, it kind of is a romance movie without being super hard on being a romance movie. So it didn't bother my 10 year old because she really hates romance movies or if people kiss. <laughs> uh, and so this like towed the line just carefully enough that you knew that the people had fallen in love with each other, but we didn't have to see them kiss or get really too much into it. It was much more about, the closing of the doors, I guess. Um, but yeah, I like. I, I definitely recommend it. I'm going to watch it again subtitled uh, in my own time. I do want to go back and kind of put it next to your name and, and see where I think it falls. Um, Darla kind of was not as big on your name, so she said this is actually the better one. Um, but I think they're, you know, they're, they're all good. Honestly, I'd be like, watch Weathering with you as well. Um, this is one of the new studios that's replacing Ghibli as it I don't even know what it's doing anymore. Kind of appears to have given up on things. Yeah, as Miyazaki curses AI, and that's about all that really happens. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. keeps retiring. Yeah, and then coming supposedly back. he's yes. making. Yeah, supposedly he's making another movie after he's retired five or six times. I read the book that it was based on. I have my doubts about where that movie yeah. is going. So we'll <laughs> see. Because the book was terrible. <laughs> um, I can see why he liked it as a kid, but it's not good. <laughs> So I saw Suzume also, and I, I saw it in IMAX, and it looked great in, in IMAX. I thought it was cool that they actually showed it in IMAX in the U.S. Yeah, and that's rad. Yeah, yeah um, instead of like having Dungeons & Dragons in IMAX for another week, they showed <laughs> this instead. And that's, I was like, that, that's cool that, that they're actually showing something that's like really visually interesting in that larger format. Um, and it seemed like there were actually some scenes that were, that were IMAX format, so, so that was cool. But... Um, I, I agree with most of what you said. I saw your name. Um, I'm like, I'm not, you know, I don't watch a lot of anime, but I happened to watch your name in 2017. It was getting a lot of critical praise and I watched it and I loved it. It was in my top 10 that year. And I've, so I've kept up with the director since then. 
I actually didn't like weathering with you. I thought it looked amazing, but everything else kind of sucked. Like the story and the characters were boring and like the mm-hmm. music was so fucking annoying. It just was like <laughs> grating against my ears the whole time. I was like, oh, I can't with this. Um, Susan May to me was kind of in between. I, I liked it better than weathering with you. I thought it was actually probably the least visually interesting of the three, but it's still very visually in- interesting. Um, like that's not saying much that it's less uh, beautiful than those two. Um, at the end, like I, I thought it was a, a fun story that like you're kind of engaged with it the whole time and following the characters through. But then by the end, I was kind of like, okay, we, we've done that. Um, you know, I, I guess that's what we're doing. Uh, you know, I feel like uh, your name resonated so powerfully on an emotional level that yeah. it seems like he's been trying to do that since then with, with his other movies. And I don't think he's been able to achieve that. Um, I liked Suzume. I, th- I thought it was definitely better than Weathering with You. Not quite to the level of of your name. Kind of like squarely in between those. Like good, solid, fun movie that looks great. That's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. There is also a trickiness that it does involve the 2011 earthquake and tsunami, and it doesn't like exactly explicitly say that. Um, oh, I didn't realize that. The Fukushima yeah, stuff? I was gonna say that. Uh, or like was that the 2011? The, I, this yeah, was. I think this was Shin just. Godzilla was based on. It's not yeah. a period piece though, because they're using like it seems to be modern technology and smartphones and stuff. So I don't, Correct. I don't so think it's, it's a period piece. It's set in the present, but Suzume's mom died in 2011. Ooh. Oh, the, I see. And the, yeah, that yeah. she moves out of that town because that town is wrecked by the tsunami. So that's where it's like in the background of this movie so that's one thing where i'm like sometimes it's the same thing miyazaki does which is like oh well now i i kind of needed to know what the hell you were talking about to be like oh this puts it in perspective so that's one thing i do think is is definitely a miss the ending i think is going to be one of those things i agree it's like you like it or you or you don't it's a Mm -hmm. little you either have to kind of just give up into it and be okay with it or yeah or it's gonna sit like all right i guess yeah Um, i didn't dislike it i was just like Okay, that's fine, I guess. Yeah. But like, it wasn't super satisfying to me. But yeah, I do agree that your name, like, to me, <laughs> it, it hit the feels. Yeah, your name yeah. like hits the feels hard at the end of it, mm. and yeah, and it that's where I'm like, I think it succeeds better. So I've agree. not seen, I've I've seen your name, and I love your name. Obviously, Parker, have you seen your name? I haven't seen it. We love your name, don't we, folks? <laughs> we love it. It's the greatest animated film I've seen. I know in a anime, folks. It's the best anime. <laughs> um, I recommend you and Nikki. If Nikki hasn't seen it, Nikki, I don't think she has. Oh, you, uh, yeah, I think it's a go good movie it. to cuddle up and watch. Well, um, yeah, my cousin texted me about this, and uh, he was like, "You should just go watch Suzume first, definitely, while it's still in theaters, just mm. for the." Uh, for the experience i mean it's great to go see it on a big screen yeah 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 well i'm just curious because i haven't seen weathering with you and i haven't seen suzume so if it wasn't in theaters and i had an option which one would you recommend to me that i watch i didn't like weathering with you. yeah i know that you didn't so i figure suzume would be your pick yeah i was curious yeah i agree i think i yeah weathering with you had really interesting visuals but i honestly can't remember mm. either of the characters names i essentially remember the plot but i it don't find it that you, interesting <laughs> yeah it was like one of the I characters could like change the weather or something was, <laughs> yeah, yeah that makes yeah, the name something stupid. about going through gates uh-huh. 
<laughs> what yeah. me saying that both of their names are weathering into you no. makes weathering with you. <laughs> no, if, if one of them controls the weather, then it's like a dumb pun. Uh, like yeah, it's yeah. just <laughs> yeah. weathering with you. It's like you you know uh, yeah. a movie is definitely gonna suck if its villain is has like a weather machine. You know? Yeah, like that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Oh wait, that movie's good. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> No, the, the, in Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, the villain is the weather machine. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. yeah. Oh. The government-made weather machine. Slightly that's different. canon, no. right? That's canon. Yeah. No, he made it <laughs> so himself. I know it's not. <laughs> we were the weather machine all along. I'm trying yeah. to, <laughs> the weather machine was the friends we made along the way. Cool. Cool. Uh, anything else on Suzume before we, we move on? No, I definitely like Go see it. I absolutely see it in the theaters. I think it's really beautiful. And I do want to always probably. I know it's still in theaters. I don't know if it's still in IMAX. It's it's definitely still in theaters. I don't know if it's still in IMAX. You've sold me. You've convinced Mm -hmm. me. I always try to support something like this because Mm -hmm. like, we need some different things. This is not based on a property. This is not some kind of adaptation. It's something new. You know, it's something that's a different perspective. Like, we need things like this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. Uh, Parker, what do you got for us? All right. So I am coming with a recommendation. Um, I recently just finished up a series on Paramount Plus called uh, you Why Women for Paramount Coke. Plus. Uh, one of my roommate does. So ah, I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's one of those shared experiences. You know, we all pay for cable together. Um, but Why Women Kill is a 2019 series that came out. uh, It actually aired on, um, if we remember, CBS All Access. Oh, Oh, all right. Yeah, brief moment in time when that when that was a thing. Yeah, it was like a year long project. I think less. (laughs) (laughs) So luckily, it's it's found it's it's found a new home on Paramount Plus, um, and they actually made a second season of this. Um, but the first one, um, it was, it's very episodic. It's one season is a storyline. Um, and, uh, it, it did not get the love that it deserved for sure. Whenever it first aired, um, it didn't come on television. It just was on, uh, CBS all access. So not many people really knew about it. Um, but just a really great thematically just solid show. Mm. The meatloaf's delicious. Penny, for your thoughts. I was wondering when you'll die. You could be hit by a bus, or have a stroke, or get stabbed in the chest. You and Simone have the perfect marriage. Oh, hardly. I imagine she dreams about stifling me with a pillow or casting me aside like an old shoe. Oh, honey, you know I'd never throw away a shoe. I'm not dying anytime soon. You don't know that. So the show itself takes place all in a uh, a mansion in L.A. Um, and it actually takes place in three different time periods. So there's an early 60s, a mid 80s, and then a present day timeline that happens. Um, each with their own casts. Um, each one revolves around a husband and a wife that lives inside of the house. Um, and... Uh, Obviously, somebody dies along the way, um, and uh, and there is, you know, the women that 
murdered the person that you know did that thing or okay. whatever uh, but it is very much like a, a mystery along the way you you uh it takes lots of twists and turns and um each uh episode really has its own like little theme um it has a narrator that's built into every episode it changes each time so like in the first one hmm. it uh, introduces the husbands and the wives and they're kind of the narrators for it and then the next one, it's like the friends of the person that died. And then it kind of just keeps going on. Oh, do you get like different perspectives of the, the death from different people around that person? So you actually don't get the deaths until the last episode. And it oh, doesn't okay. tell you who's going to die until the last episode. You know who like the women are because it's always going to be the wives of the three different series. That do the killing. That do some kind of killing. Yeah. And uh the uh, the wife in the '80s is Lucy Liu. Um, okay. She's a top build actor in the series, and she definitely gets like a, a really great uh, focal point for the role. A lot of really wonderful lines and uh, very like quick witted uh, uh, comebacks and things like that. Um, and uh, her storyline really like takes a turn that you don't expect at first, um, but uh, like the entire series is really great. Like it it does a really good job of kind of um, keeping itself tense and keeping the the friction up at all times and the suspense built because um, you never know who's going to get killed and you're kind of like guessing along the way like oh it's going to be the shitty husband but then like the husband kind of gets redeemed in an episode and then like kind of comes back a little bit and they introduce new characters along the way and like the third the 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 um premise around the like the the uh present day storyline mm is about the couple having an open marriage and so they bring a third person in and that like creates oh, strife okay. and, that and always things like well. that yeah yeah right and uh <laughs> she's coming in because like she has a crazy ex-boyfriend who's like you know all over her and who's abusive and like went to prison and stuff and so like they uh they use that in really fun ways uh the first the first one in the early 60s is about a uh a housewife who is being cheated on by her husband. She kind of like, you know, she's the housewife that has it all, but then you was like the style at the time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. As was the style at the time. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, she, she, uh, she is, uh, you, you actually realize, I think probably until like episode three or something, you finally realize that they actually had a kid before, like they started this story. So you realize that there's a bit of trauma behind there. And, um, it's just like, yeah, it's very, very well uh, cohesed show with three different plot lines going all at the same time. Um, and then the finale is really great. It kind of actually all takes place like they interweave everything and uh, they kind of like did some like mixed filming with each different set because they, you know, they had, it, it's very clear and evident that they had to like film like one period and then change the house, film the next period and then change oh, the, the house. Oh, it's the same house? It's the same house uh, every single time. Wow. And then at the end, they actually show like after the stories have wrapped up, they do this really nice little thing where they kind of like bookend everybody's story by showing the house purchases along the way. Um, uh -huh. So it shows the house purchase from the first story to the second story and then the house purchase from the second story to the third story. No one ever asks if anyone died in this house when they buy it. Oh, no, they, it, it, they, they say it like along the way and it's kind of oh, like yeah. this like fun little thing. But um, it's got funny. a lot of character. Yeah. It has a lot of character. Yeah, it is a really great show that I think got that got overlooked that has just like a, it's 10 episodes. Very enjoyable. 
very enjoyable ride. It's yeah. only it's only ten episodes. There's not more of it right now. Or there's anything? a second season. Okay. I haven't watched it though. It's episodic, so you only have to watch the first season. That is like when all of it's the like storylines wrap up. Contained mm-hmm. piece. That, exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. Anthological. Not. Yeah. yeah. Episodic. Not not episodic, but yeah. anthological. Awesome. Gotcha. Yeah. That's cool. I was looking How at the IMDb it? page, and uh, Nick Frost is in it. Is that? Is, yeah. Is, is he, he the like one that played for laughs, or how's that? He he's the one from um, Veep. Shaun right? of the Dead. Shot the Dead. No. Uh, oh wait. Yeah. Nick, Frost. Nick Frost is not. I is don't remember him. He's on the. Oh, maybe he's in season two. <laughs> he might two. be in season two. Then yeah. yeah. The I'm, dude from Veep is in it. I was like, yes, he's he's, yeah, uh, he's Dan. Dan, yeah, yeah he's uh-huh. he's one of the characters. He's the husband in the uh, present day storyline. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. uh, and he plays a really interesting character. He plays a a a, a writer for like uh, he sells scripts for movies and oh, screenplay um, writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, you know, he's like one of those like hit or miss screenplay writers where he like doesn't make it big for a few years and then like sells a really awesome story that does really well and then like gets addicted to coke and he's. It, it oh, seems okay. like a little later that he's an addict. That's probably yeah. a natural yeah. progression. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Is he uh, basically just playing his character from Veep? Because that seems. seems oh, like... whenever he gets like <laughs> frustrated, whenever he's on coke, you you uh-huh. see the Veep just like sliding through him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But before that, he's like very mellow and Let calm. Let the Veeps flow <laughs> through you. Yes, that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. How uh, how does it play with the time periods? Like, is that actually play into differences or yeah it definitely does so the first time period is definitely you know like it deals on like just like you know abusive so one of the neighbors is an extremely abusive husband that like actually breaks his wife's wife's uh arm and uh like gives her black eyes and things like that um but like she's just like very tertiary character um the main character like the husband has been cheating on her for a long time but she thinks it's just like this one girl and she actually befriends the person uh in the first episode she goes to the diner to like confront this woman and then she like ends up like getting to know her and kind of like going through this whole process and it's makes like the entire thing a lot more difficult um the 80s storyline actually revolves right around the beginning of the aids epidemic and like the last few episodes really really punched through on like the uh the uh stigma that was built around aids and just the gay community in total interesting yeah yeah um, okay and uh yeah it's it, it does a really good job of keeping like keeping things like slightly on topic for like present day even though they're out in like these it just it does a really great job of showing the woman's perspective and like you don't notice it along the way at all but like it is just a very great show at at giving uh giving women a little bit more of a voice in these like weird relationships you know that empathy and that kind of connection that you can get to the characters and it can build that yeah. relationship with you and they have three different women that are like three different female characters you know like the character of the present day is very strong-willed she's a lawyer she's actually the breadwinner because of the husband you know having these drug problems and not mm. really being able to keep like you know his script writing working up you know so does a good job of like playing off of a, di- a lot of different subjects around like uh, feminism and toxic masculinity. It's, I will say, when you first pitched me on this, we were on the way to a hockey game. <laughs> you did it in a very fast manner, and I was like, oh, this sounds like a Monster of the Week kind of affair. Yeah. Uh, but now it sounds like there's a lot of layers to it that I do want to peel back that are fascinating to me, where uh, it, it almost feels like Hitchcockian in a way, where mm-hmm. you know somebody's going to die at the end of it. You know there's a ticking mm-hmm. time bomb yes. underneath the desk, as it were. 
Yeah. Um, but you really don't know how that's going to play out or what the characters are, who, who's involved in that, who planted it there and what it's going to do. Um, so it's fascinating to hear this kind of unravel right before me. Yeah, it's, it's the classic triple whodunit, you know? Damn. Take that, Ryan Johnson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Knives out times three. <laughs> Very cool. Cool. Uh, well, I have a recommend for us as well. So this is going to be four out of four recommends this week. We did it, everybody. Um, good to offset. We achieved world peace. <laughs> good to offset that shit pile Dungeons and Dragons that we, watched, that we talked about earlier this week. I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I watched a 1947 film called Black Narcissus, uh, directed by the British uh, directing duo of Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. We may proceed with our plans at Mopu. It will be called St. Faith. You will be the youngest sister superior in our order. No place to put a nunnery, I can tell you that. I don't think you're ready for it. Do you notice a change in us since we came here? I notice a change in you. I feel that things are not right with you. I remember things before I joined our order. There's something in the atmosphere that makes everything seem exaggerated. I think there are only two ways of living in this place. Either ignore it or give yourself up to it. So Pal and Pressburger were, uh, you know, kind of prolific in the 40s through the 60s in, in England, making a lot of movies that were popular at the time and then kind of, for some reason, fell out of cultural relevance for a while and then have been kind of picking back up steam. Um, Martin Scorsese actually, like, has been a big part of bringing their films back into the cultural zeitgeist over the last, like, 20 or 30 years. Um I've seen two of their movies. Uh, Red Shoes is a, a really famous movie of theirs that I liked a lot. And then um, Black Narcissus is um, this one that I watched this past week. Uh, I felt pretty similarly about both of them where um, a lot of the movie, you know, the first two acts of the movie feels a little bit slow and a little bit dull. And then it crescendos into a really powerful emotional final act. And then you kind of thinking back on it, you realize what was building in the first two acts that weren't necessarily apparent when you didn't know where it was going. I'm actually interested in rewatching both of these to kind of, I, I imagine I'd be able to pick up on things that I didn't on the first watch. But Black Narcissus is about a group of nuns who start a school slash hospital slash, uh, you know, general nunnery in the, <laughs> in the Himalayas in India. <laughs> Um, and there is a, like a local general king person there who has this large mansion on this big hill on this cliff outside of this small town. And he used to use it to house all of his women. And for some reason, he's not using it for that anymore. And now there are nuns there instead. <laughs> um, getting up to nunnery. Yeah. yeah. So the nuns move in and there are like pictures on the walls of like, you know, uh, sexy Indian women and, and stuff. And uh, they have like, to, you know, have to like remove those and actually start. Put sexy pictures of Jesus. Uh -huh. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, fucking shred it up on that yeah. cross. <laughs> what would Jesus lift? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they're they're trying to start this uh you know convent in uh you know the this remote area of India in an area where Christianity is not really known and 
Actually, Christianity is not spoken about much in the film. Like it, it's clearly underneath what's going on, but the nuns don't really talk about it. They seem to be more focused on just kind of executing their orders from, I think they're Anglican nuns, is like from the Church of England that's telling them what they need to do to set up this place. They're like, well, we have to teach children. And so we need to get kids to show up here and we need to, you know, be able to create a hospital to cure people of their illnesses. Um, there's a, an English man who is kind of the representative of the Indian general who kind of helps them get things set up. And he's the go-between between the nuns and the head of, of this area in, in India. And he is, uh, you know, kind of wears short shorts and, and has his shirt kind of unbuttoned <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, uh, you know, comes around these nuns. And basically the movie is about sexual repression and these nuns dealing with these desires that they have shoved down so far over the years. You know, some of them have been doing this for decades, some for only a few years. And they are in this convent and just really horny. And there's this, you know, this one guy who kind of keeps coming around and making wry remarks in his short shorts and, um, <laughs> you know, kind of creating temptation With for his them. father, son, and Holy Ghost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of, you know, kind of slow build in the first couple acts of the movie as you sense the frustration of these nuns kind of maybe not being able to create the environment that they wanted and not getting the, um, you know, kind of interest from the local community that they expected they would. And, you know, meanwhile, they are, you know, kind of dealing with the temptation of this, this, uh, you know, brawny, hairy man who keeps coming by. Stupid, sexy general. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like I'm blessing nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, you know, you can kind of imagine, uh, it's a really interesting movie dealing, dealing with a lot of issues that, you know, kind of like the church doesn't want to talk about, particularly the Catholic church and the Anglican church, like having celibacy requirements and, mm. um, you know, the, uh, priests or nuns kind of not really, uh, being able to deal with that in a healthy way. Um, you can really see, so Scorsese was really influenced by Powell and Pressburger, and you can see that from this movie, like, there's a, I saw a lot of silence and The Last Temptation of Christ uh, in this movie with the, the ideas that it was dealing with. Also, The Age of Innocence with, like, sexual repression and, um, you know, kind of having to put on the air of politeness and, um, you know, kind of a proper attitude and not, um, you know, admit that you're dealing with, with any problems. Um, so I, I thought it was pretty fascinating to see those ideas and how Scorsese has taken those and used them in his work. Um, it was uh, photographed in Technicolor in 1947, which, um, you know, was still pretty uncommon at the time. And uh, the cinematographer was Jack Cardiff. He won an Oscar for Best Color Cinematography for the movie. The camera is fairly static and it, it feels a bit staged, but the, the lighting is impeccable. And the way they use Technicolor and the lighting coming through, uh, through like the windows and stuff. Cardiff was really influenced by Jan Vermeer and Rembrandt and kind of looked at cinematography from a painterly aspect. And you can really see that in the movie. Like every, every shot is just very beautifully set up and it, and it just looks great. Uh, it was all shot on a back lot in England and they didn't shoot a second of it in India. 
Um, but the sets are incredible. It also won the Oscar for Best Production Design. Um, there are these incredible shots where the the convent is up on this cliff and it just falls straight off like hundreds or thousands of feet into these forests below. And they show you a shot of there's a bell right on the edge of the cliff and a nun has to come out and ring the bell every so often to mark the time. And there's a shot from above the bell looking down the cliff as the nun is, is ringing the bell. And it's just a perspective painting. Like the set is built six feet off the ground, but you would have no idea because this painting is so Damn. well done and it creates this perspective where it looks like it's dropping off this far. Um, not all of the paintings work as well as that one. Like there are definitely scenes where you're like, oh yeah, that's a set. <laughs> um, but they're, they're like, they're all really good. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I was shocked at how well it worked for something that, was clearly uh, just shot in a studio backlot and it was all staged. Like they used that to their advantage to create the perfect lighting that they needed in every scene and to kind of be able to micromanage exactly what they wanted to do. Um, so I liked it a lot. I think, you know, I, I like religious movies and movies about, you know, kind of doubt and the, the problems that come along with over devotion to religion and, and things like that. So um, I liked it a lot. I'm interested to rewatch it and the red shoes because I want to kind of see, you know, the, cause I was kind of like a little bit bored for the first two acts and the third act. I was like, Holy shit, this is incredible. And thinking back, I can see what they were doing and laying the groundwork for that on the way. So I'm interested to go back and revisit it, but um, liked it a lot. Would definitely recommend people check it out. That's pretty crazy for 1947. That's, yeah. That's so progressive at the time. Yeah, and it was a fairly big commercial hit at the time, which I was surprised to really? hear that uh, something about repressed nuns would be that yeah. popular. And that much sexuality. Was, like, Yeah, it's based on a book as well. And around that, yeah. kind of in the 30s and 40s, anything that was based on a book tended to be a decent hit. Right. Mm. Grapes of Wrath or any of those yeah. kind of things. Uh, Michael Powell said also that he basically he, he made that movie because he like coming out of world war ii the, all england was just making war movies and people were getting tired of them and he's like i need to make something that's not a war movie yep and most of the movies that pal and pressburger had made up to that point were original scripts and this was the first one that they did based on other material and and it, it feels like he's like i just need to do something completely different than what everybody <laughs> else is doing right now and it, it paid off for him, which a lot of times risks like that don't end up working out but um yeah do you know there's a 2020 version of Black Narcissus? Oh God, I did not. It's directed know that. by the cinematographer from Molly's Game. <laughs> oh uh, no. <laughs> um. And Fences, cinematographer for Fences. Okay. Uh, uh, he's done a few other things, I guess. Too. I was just like looking it up, and it's. I'm not gonna I watch mean, that. I'm not gonna do it. It's uh, <laughs> according to the reviews. It's like a step down from this one obviously but it yeah. looks from like the screenshots i've seen very stylistic which is kind of interesting to me so yeah curious if we have a breathless situation on our hands <laughs> here uh, <laughs> um but yeah that sounds really fascinating um i also while we were talking about that i was like is lilies of the field technically also uh not black narcissus obviously but a some kind of weird like nun <laughs> exploitation film. I don't know that movie. <laughs> nun exploitation. Uh, nun exploitation. <laughs> yes. Uh, Louisa the Field has. Um, uh, it features. Oh fuck! I just forgot his name, and I have it. He was in the Heat of the Night. Uh, 
Sydney Poitier. Yeah. Sydney Poitier. Poitier. Yes, Poitier. Sydney Poitier. Yeah. Yes, Sydney Poitier is in uh, *Lilies of the Field*. Okay, and my I got mom, my mom fucking loves that movie. It's all about a bunch of nuns who are very stingy, stodgy, like stuffy, and Sydney Poitier comes in with his kind of like gruffness and teaches them how to actually build a community and to kind of thrive <laughs> and make a palatable, I guess, religious sort of community hmm. which is interesting i have not watched that movie in a long time that sounds like a more optimistic version yeah maybe, that's why black i was narcissus. like the entire time you we were talking about it i was just like did somebody see black narcissus and go we could do this with nuns too <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> black narcissus is is very dark like it's it's not a uh you know it, it sounds like it's it. like <laughs> uh, like i told i said it reminded me of silence it's like you know it yeah. about you know, missionaries or, or emissaries of the church going out to foreign lands and trying to do their thing and, and it not working. And they'll be like, what the fuck am I doing here? Why did I come out here? Oh, um, yeah. yeah. So it's, it, I, I, I liked it a lot. I'm, I'm really excited to go back and I'll probably try to go back and watch it here in the next couple of weeks or so and, and just kind of see how it builds up. It is, it is very British and, and their <laughs> movie, their movies are, and it's, you know, it's like a lot of, it feels very staged. There's a lot of actors talking in like perfect British accents, giving monologues and stuff that like, but there is, there is this sensuousness that is like boiling underneath what's going on. And, and you can see that there. And then it just erupts in the, the final act of the film in a way that I, I thought was pretty powerful. I want to pitch you on a double feature night, two double oh. feature nights, if I may. A, a four feature a night. Four feature. Quad, it's not the same night, feature. but like different <laughs> nights here. I am sensing something that maybe we should watch the Black Narcissus film that was made mm. in 2020. No. Nope. After we watched the Jean Luc Godard 1960 Breathless, and uh, then the other night we watch <laughs> the Breathless with Richard Gere and the original Black Narcissus. Okay. And we, then we we alternate like yes. we have a good and bad in the next. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, Just like we did for our spy movies. Yeah. Okay. I could be down uh, that, with that. That would be kind of fun, I feel like. Started. I actually almost watched Breathless last night to bring it here to be like, oh, you watched the 83 when I watched <laughs> the actual 1960 <laughs> Breathless. Because uh, I haven't seen that yet, but it's sitting on my shelf. But I was like, I should, like, John's probably going to want to watch that. I, should I just, do like, want to watch yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. So. But I want to watch Black Narcissus as well, the original, uh, and, the, and then figure out what the new one is. I would be way more tantalized to watch the new Black Narcissus <laughs> if it was directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, but that's just me. <laughs> Vinegar Syndrome will put it out in a month or two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah. Cool. Uh, any other thoughts uh, tonight before we wrap things up? No, I think we brought... You joke, but nunsploitation is a thing. Nunsploitation yeah. is, yeah. yes, very much. Yeah, are you like, talking <laughs> about like bad horror movies that are like about Catholicism? No, just in general, like nunsploitation is a thing, right? There's, what? Yeah, there's a bunch of like Italian and Japanese like nun... And then, yeah. The, yeah, there's a mix in there of like nun horror, but just general like... Yeah, Anything like nuns. nuns general nuns, nunnery. Like, it's there yeah. somewhere. <laughs> You'll find it if you look hard enough, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, just like caveman exploitation or any of the things you think yeah. out there, there's Bruce, a exploitation for it. I swear, <laughs> Bruce Lee exploitation. That's my yeah. favorite sub sub genre. People and, uh, exploiting Bruce Lee's uh, likeness is Lee, amazing. To me. Yes, <laughs> Jackie yes. Chan started as a Bruce Lee impersonator. Yeah. Oh wow! Wait, yeah. Ryan, does that mean Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is Bruce Bruce Lee exploitation? Bruce no, Lee's it's not. <laughs> uh, Ryan, Just one segment of it. Ryan, I know you have it on the tip of your tongue. What is that Bruce Lee movie? Tell Parker, please, because I don't think he knows about it. 
I don't remember what the name of it is now. Uh-huh. I think it's called like The Death of Bruce Lee or something like that. Yep. But it involves, this is after Bruce Lee died. They made mm-hmm. a movie about him going to hell and the, <laughs> the devil being pissed that Bruce Lee is awesome. Oh my God. And so oh the devil God. contracts like Dracula and I've tried to remember like what? four or five other also Holy shit. not in public domain characters <laughs> to go fight Bruce Lee. So Bruce Lee gets uh, Zorro and <laughs> Popeye. And Holy shit. <laughs> like two or three other, like a, I think like a, a masked wrestler. <laughs> this is just <laughs> like. Then they go against the other ones. Meanwhile, part of the reason the devil gets so pissed at Bruce Lee is Bruce Lee keeps having sex with all the devil's wives. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Which is mostly just an experience excuse to show tits in the middle yeah. of our Bruce Lee exploitation movie. Yeah, hey, I'm fine with that. that. And Bruce Lee's we know what he's mad about for. once upon a time in Hollywood, but <laughs> never came for these directors. <laughs> is this live action? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. my God. This uh-huh. sounds amazing. Is it Dracula <laughs> and like amazing. all the other universal monsters? Is, is it that... Blackula? No, no, no. It was, yeah. <laughs> I think it's like just Dracula is the only one that's a monster. It's also, it's like Dracula and then like, we don't William get the invisible man. And it's like such a weird <laughs> and Hardy meet the ghost of Bruce Lee. <laughs> <laughs> and then they get this like A team of super awesome old school heroes <laughs> oh of Popeye and Zorro. Yeah, ghost yep. and Edward. Yeah. And- <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay. Wow. Wow. Well, okay. What a side tangent. There you go. An everybody. extra recommendation. <laughs> that was, that was wait, wild. Wait, didn't you watch something else? A follow up, didn't you have, Dixon, that you. Oh, I watched uh, uh, Potato Dreams of America um, that uh, you recommended a few weeks ago. You let me borrow the Blu-ray and I watched it this past week and I liked it a lot. I wasn't quite as enthusiastic on it as you were. I think the the stuff in Russia I thought was great. And then when they got to America, I felt like it really fell off a cliff and and it didn't really stick the landing. But Mm. I, I still really enjoyed it and thought it was a really cool personal vision. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for joining us tonight on Afterthoughts. I've been your host, Michael Dixon. And with me tonight is our very special guest. Uh, I'm Parker. Waka waka. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And uh, as always, Ryan King, join us next time when we find Marvel movie in another way that we can trick Dixon into it. <laughs> That's God not this episode. <laughs> not no, this no. Episode at all. But we're going to find one next time. Oh, okay, the next okay. movie will oh, be. Oh, yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> I will quit this podcast. We'll find out. <laughs> pull this shit again, Ryan. We'll find out Creed 3 is actually a. <laughs> oh, no. Don't bring Jonathan Majors into this. <laughs> not right oh, now. No. <laughs> <laughs> and. And uh, John Garcia, yeah, everybody, go fucking watch Reservoir Dogs, go watch Reservation Dogs, go watch John Wick 4. How many can I squeeze in here uh, before I'm cut off? Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got Afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.